When it comes to prayer, there are countless books that can be written. There are countless books that have been written about prayer and said on the subject. And one of the most helpful things that we've learned between our Wednesday night meet prayer meetings is we're going through William Gurnall's prayers or even this sermon series is that prayer is the lifeblood of every Christian. We do not pray aimlessly hoping that someone up there will get our prayers. We do not send your prayer we don't send prayers your way as though they were gift packages to those who are hurting and suffering. We have an object to whom we pray, namely we pray to the Lord himself. He is the God who hears us, and he is the God who listens to his people. And so prayer is a privilege that enables us, that enables you and me, the regenerated man, woman, or child, to come to a holy God who is not only all-knowing, because he knows everything that you're going to ask before you ask him. He's all-seeing, and everything that is in this created order, he is personally involved in. It's not like he folds his arms and stands back and he waits for things to happen on their own. He's not a passive God. He is an active God in his creation. And so when we come to our text this morning, we've been going through uh, the Lord's Prayer. But here we are arriving, so to speak, in the middle of that prayer. We're going in to the middle of a lesson that Jesus is teaching his disciples on prayer. And... We see that because he says it. Matthew tells us that he is gathered with all of his disciples. And this is not just the 12 disciples. This is a whole multitude of people that have come to the mountain. He's sitting on the mountain. He has just undergone the fiercest of trials going through the wilderness, being tested by Satan. And interestingly enough, if you want to make a note of it, it, Satan actually tests our Lord in the wilderness in his three offices as prophet, as priest, and as king. And so we see that Jesus emerges victorious. And I'm, again, I'm laying out the context for you because we're dropping in the middle of a prayer. Jesus emerges victorious. And one of the things that we're supposed to see in all of this is a parallel between the children of Israel who failed in the wilderness and Jesus who actually succeeded in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. Now, our shorter catechism, our confession, our larger catechism and our shorter catechism tells us what prayer is. And if prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will, in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies, then the question that we have to ask is, what did the prayer life of the children of Israel look like when they were in the wilderness? And if you remember from the opening chapters of Hebrews, and if you've read through all of the things that have happened to the children of Israel, the drumbeat, the constant drumbeat, the baseline that that, that to, to, their, to their theme song was complaining. They all complained. Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 11 says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. 
Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And so complaining was characteristic of the people of Israel in the wilderness that Moses led out of Egypt. That was their prayer life. Everything that they did involved a complaint. Complaining, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 21, is the mark of an unbeliever. This is how you know what an unbeliever is. They complain. In this lesson on prayer, we are actually coming to the fourth petition. So we read verses 5 through 11, but we are now focusing on verse 11, which everyone in this world knows as give us this day our daily bread. And our Lord is actually building up his disciples. He's redirecting their gaze away from their complaining and now giving them a reason to go to the Father. And he does this. And so what, we're going to, what, we're, what I'm going to do this morning as we look at this one particular verse is I'm going to break it up into three sections or three headings so that we can just follow along. You look at this verse and you're like, how can you get all of this out of this one verse? And we're going to do that. We're going to look at our Bibles and we're going to see what the text has to say. But we're going to look at the source of our needs. We're also going to look at the timing of our needs. And then we're going to look at the substance of our needs. Three things, source, timing, and substance. And you can see it right there in your text. It's all there so that you can't, you can't say that I'm making things up. But we go there because one of the things that I think Matthew is trying to get us to understand and even our Lord is trying to get his people to understand is that the true, the true source of all of our needs, all of our needs, is our Father in heaven who gives us all that we need to live for him today. The true source of all of our needs is our Father in heaven who gives us all that we need to live for him today. And so before we start and go into our text, one verse There are just three disclaimers that I want to put up before you. Three road signs, three LED signs, like as bright as the sign is out there that says the haven. I want you to see three things and remember them. The first is this, that as we are taking this Lord's Prayer petition by petition, there's like six petitions here. Pastor has gone through the first three and we will be going through the last three. Um, remember that we are, this is in the context of prayer. Verse 5 and verse 7, or I'm sorry, verse 7 and verse 9, it says, and when you pray, and in verse 9, he says, pray then like this. So this is in the context of prayer. And so the Lord is expecting all that are listening to him, even now, you, the Lord is expecting you to be active and not passive in prayer. Prayer is an active thing, an active communion with God. The second disclaimer is this. Remember who it is that is being contrasted in this lesson on prayer. If you look at just a few verses before, you'll notice that he constantly makes reference to the hypocrites. The literal word is pretenders. You are pretending by going out. You're a charlatan. You're a fake. You're a fraud. And so he's saying, don't be like them. And the contrast is them versus those who are genuinely approaching the Lord in prayer. And the last and third, the third and the last disclaimer is this, that prayer is a vibrant, 
<clears throat> and living communion with the Father. So you'll see our Father, everyone knows, our Father who is in heaven. This is a living and vibrant communion with the Father through the Son. And you'll notice that it is the Son that's teaching us now. And in this sense, he's acting in the, the capacity as a priest to us, as the priests un, unfold the law of God and they teach it to the people. So we approach the Father through the Son by the power and the work of the Spirit. And so we are coming to a vibrant communion. This is not like we are calling God on a phone and leaving a message on his voicemail. He doesn't have voicemail. It's not, we're, sending, we're not sending postcards and we're not contacting God's help desk where Peter picks up and says, who are, who, who are you trying to talk to? No, there is no help desk in heaven. The context is prayer. The context is authenticity. The context is communion with the triune God. And again, like I said earlier, for our Sunday school lesson, this word context is super important. It's very important because this is what, this is how we determine what the text is actually saying. And so look with me, we're going to go now to the source of our needs. Look with me in verse 11. Jesus is now pointing our attention away from the three biggest things that everyone in the ancient Near East wanted. They wanted a name for themselves. They wanted a pedigree, so a long line of descendants that will carry on the family name, and they, uh, they wanted great works. This is what everyone in the ancient Near East wanted, and this is what the Lord promised to both Abraham and to David. I will make you, uh, make you a great nation. I'll give you, uh, bless your name. He even changes Abraham's name. And you see the great works of Abraham, and all of them were done by faith. And the same thing to David. And now the Lord is showing us the great works of God. We see that in the great name of our Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. right? Not our name, not anyone else's name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. So here are the works of God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So between the kingdom and God's will being done on earth and heaven, you have smashed together the pedigree, the household of God, God's kingdom, and all of the works of God. And these are the three great things, again, that everyone in the ancient Near East wanted, but these are the things that the Lord alone has forever. And so what Jesus does is he now points us to verse 11, where he says, give us this day our daily bread. The aim the aim of our entire existence and all 7 billion people on this planet are to, is to enjoy the Lord, is to glorify Him, to know Him, to grow deeper in communion with Him. And now the Lord tells us in verse 11 that this is the same Lord who promises to provide all of our needs, promises to provide all the things that we have need of as we go through the daily grind of life. So you wake up in the morning and you know that your hands are empty and your stomach is rumbling because you're hungry and you need something. The Father knows. And so we turn to the source of our needs. This is where Jesus directs the attention of his people. And this is where actually the children of Israel failed. Give us this day. This is, uh, this is looking now to the Lord for help. And this is exactly where the children of Israel looked to Moses and they started complaining. They said, the Lord brought us out of, out of Egypt and Moses, this man, brought us out of Egypt in order to kill us. 
So they're assigning motive to the Lord and saying his intention, as if they can know the deep things of God, was to kill us. The children of Israel failed in their complaining. Although they knew God, they did not give him thanks. And that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. They weren't thankful. Imagine you see an entire economy decimated by the living God. And now your whole life was all slave labor. And now you are being brought out. Not just 10 people, not just 70 people, but 2.2 million people. So that you hear kids in the background. You hear the bleeding of goats. You hear all the, you see all these camels and you see all of these people dressed in so many different ways. And they're all walking out of Egypt. And they're saying, where are we going? Well, Moses is leading us because the Lord has called him. And now they see the parting of the Red Sea. They see the pillar of fire in front of them. And they complain. Jesus is teaching his disciples here, not just what to ask for, but he is directing their attention to the source of their needs so that they ask directly the Father as not just a Father out there, but their Father. When the Lord spoke to the people of Israel, he said, I am your God, and you will be my people. And this is the same attitude that our Lord has as he's teaching his people. The question that should come, should come into your mind, because you can watch and meet people from all walks of life who pray this prayer. The question that we should ask is, who then is allowed to pray this prayer? Can just anybody pray this prayer? And the answer is no. Because not everyone knows God as their father. In fact, the Lord himself makes that distinction in John chapter 8. When the Pharisees, the religious party, are coming after our Lord and they're pelting him with all of these questions to the boiling point where actually our Lord says, your father is not Abraham. Don't even claim that. Don't even go there. He says, stop, I'm drawing the line right there. Your father, you are just like your father. You do everything that your father wants to do. If Abraham were your father, if Moses, if you can claim Moses, you would acknowledge me because they spoke about me. And before Abraham was, everyone knows this, I am. And that infuriated them. But here Jesus makes that distinction. And here, also in our Lord's Prayer, in this Lord's Prayer, He tells us that when we come to the source of our needs, we are not just coming to an ATM. We're not going to an auto-draft bill pay where we can just grab our things from an Amazon supermarket. We are going to a living and personal God, our Father, to which Paul tells us He has given us of His Spirit so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And Abba in Hebrew means father. It's the term of endearment that children would say to their parents, to their dads. The source of our needs is none other than our heavenly father who is inviting his people, you, to come to him and say, Father, give us. The complaining that the the people of Israel had arose out of a heart that was essentially at war with the Lord. And if you, again, look at Exodus chapter 16, you'll see this, constantly complaining. And when they asked for bread, and when they asked for something to eat, they complained about it, 
And the Lord was still merciful. And he was still gracious. And what did Moses say? He gave them specific instructions. Gather only bread for today. And the reason why they said, uh, what is it? Is because that's the name of the bread, manna. What is it? It's bread. It's bread from heaven. And yet, if you go back to Exodus 16, you'll find that still there were some people who wanted to grab bread for a few weeks storage. And what happens? It bred worms and it stank. And this wasn't an isolated incident. If it were an isolated incident, like a one-off, like one family said, all right, I'm just going to just take more bread. It wouldn't have been put in the scripture, but apparently it was so widespread that it was recorded in scripture amongst 2.2 million people so that everyone heard it. And now Moses had to do something about it. They weren't going to their father. They didn't even see God and acknowledge God as their father. They just saw him as someone that can just give them what they wanted at the time that they needed it so that they can go on doing what they wanted to do. And the question that comes to us as we approach this text, when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, are we actually turning to the source of our needs or relying on ourselves completely for the source of all that we need? In other words, when we go to the Costco's or when we purchase things on Amazon or when we go to BJ's or wherever we shop, as we are going to these stores, are we saying, Lord, thank you? I mean, you're staring a cereal box right in the face and it's staring right back at you. And <laughs> all you want to do is just, I'm hungry. Are you saying, Lord, thank you? This is supposed to be the mindset of every believer as we are approaching life so that everything is filtered through the lens of our source of all that we have, the Father. From there, we go to the time of our needs. So we see the source of our needs, but what about the time of our needs? Actually, in Greek... The words daily bread is at the front end to show that we actually have physical needs. But before we get there to the bread part, look at the time of our needs. It's right there in the text. Give us this day our daily bread. And in fact, the word, uh, the word uh, this day is not really used in much of the Greek New Testament. This is probably one of the only places aside from Luke where this is used. And even in Greek literature, this is not a word that's really used at all. In fact, some people believe that the evangelists made this up, made this word up to convey what Jesus is trying to get across. They believe that Matthew or Luke made something like this up. But the idea behind it is the time of your need is not yesterday. The time of your need is not tomorrow. Proverbs 27.1 and James chapter 5 tells us, don't boast about tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yesterday's already gone in the annals of history. And what Jesus is safeguarding against is anxiety. So don't be anxious. Psalm 37, don't fret. How many times does that psalmist say, don't fret? David says, don't fret, don't fret, don't fret. And Jesus actually says, don't be anxious for anything. In verse 34 of the same chapter, look with me in the text. It says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The timing of our needs is today. 
And so again, we see that the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 16 are thinking about next week. What if we don't have enough bread for next week? What if the Lord won't come through on his promise? He said, I will give them bread daily that I would test them. But what if the Lord actually doesn't follow through? And this is something that we have to wrestle with every single day, right? Like we go through our life and we start thinking, will the Lord actually follow through? I mean, I saw that he provided last week for my car to be repaired. I saw that he provided a bill that was paid. I saw that he was able to get me a job. But will he actually follow through today or tomorrow? And it reminds us of a hymn. You can write it down and you can look at it later. But the hymn, moment by moment, that hymn teaches that we are to be moment by moment dependent on the Lord. So that we are focusing now on the moment on when the Lord is providing. We are going to the source of our needs for the time of our needs and telling the Lord, today I need your help. That is where Jesus is going. And he's guarding against Anxiety. Anxiety is really rooted in this fear that God will never do what he said he would do. That's where anxiety comes from. In fact, when the people of Israel sent out the 12 spies, it was based on the promise that the Lord had said, I am giving you this land. I will drive out the Jebusites. I will drive out the Hittites. I will drive out the Ammonites. I will drive out all of those people and I will give you this land. Therefore, send out spies. And 10 came back and they said, no, we can't do this. And you know what happened to the entire congregation? The entire congregation was flooded with anxiety. Again, remember the amount of people, 2.2 million people. All flooded with anxiety. Oh, the Lord has brought us out to kill us again. We're going to be crushed. And two men stood up and said, wait a second. <laughs> We're not going in that direction. Jacob, uh, Joshua and Caleb. The root of all of our anxieties comes from a heart that doesn't believe that God will actually fulfill his promises today. And what happens if you die today? Will the Lord be unfaithful to keep his promises? No. Because one of the things that you miss, and people with anxiety, that struggle with anxiety, miss, and I'm not saying that we have to be these people that never struggle with anxiety, but the Lord commands it, don't be anxious. One of the things that we miss is that even if we die, the Lord can still raise us up and keep his promise. Because he is the Lord of the living. We know this in theory, but I wonder, have you actually taken inventory of your own soul to ask the question, am I being anxious for my job, for my children? The anxiety causes paralysis in our prayer lives instead of moving us to the Lord. Are we praying like that? The timing of our petitions is today. And you should probably be also asking, doesn't, doesn't daily bread and today kind of contradict each other? If it's daily, that means it's constantly happening. Don't they contradict each other? And in a sense, it doesn't. Why? Because the Lord promises daily to keep watch over his people. 
But he's not asking you to come tomorrow for something that you need today. You're not even there yet. Come today is what he's saying. The assumption in this petition should serve as a rebuke. What is the assumption? That we are actively praying. Are you praying? Is that what characterizes your life? Ultimately, this is where our Lord is telling us. He's telling us not when you happen to have time and you sit down and you remember and to pray, pray like this. He doesn't have any words like that. He says, when you pray. And the when you pray isn't just once every month as if this was a special event. This prayer is a daily event. And the assumption again, the presupposition is that we are daily coming before our Lord. But then we go from the source of our needs, which is our Father, right? Our Father in heaven to the timing of our needs. And from there we go to the substance of our needs. What is the substance? And many people will take this to be something spiritual. The bread is spiritual. The bread that Jesus is talking about is the spiritual bread. After all, didn't Jesus say in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life? Didn't we just read that in the call to worship? I am the bread of life. And actually some church fathers have actually taken it to be something spiritual. But... I think, and I agree with, there are other commentators that would agree with me, and I would agree with them, that this is actually a focus on material possessions. This is not asking the Lord for a yacht. This is not asking the Lord for a villa in the middle of Italy. This is asking the Lord for something physical that you need to live today. Why do I think that? Because of the context. And remember that word, context. Look at what he says in verses 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the bodies more than clothing? So the Lord is clearly focused on something material. But this doesn't mean that it rules out the spiritual. We ask for the spiritual, but here the Lord wants us to see that our Father in heaven cares not only for our souls, but for our bodies. He cares that you grow hungry. He cares that you are thirsty. He cares that your children need food. He cares that there's something in your fridge so that you can go ahead and help others and feed others and invite people to your table. This is a call to communion with one another. Give us this day our daily bread. What is bread for except for eating? We eat it and we nourish our bodies so that we can actually carry out the rest of the petitions here. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And all of the things that the Lord is calling us to do, we need to eat. So for those people that say, oh no, I only pray for spiritual things. I don't really care about the body or anything physical. The Lord contradicts you. The Lord himself says, pray for your physical needs. You don't have gas in your car. How are you going to be able to give someone a ride when they need it? You ask the Lord for it. You ask the Lord for a job. You ask the Lord for clothes. If you find that your clothes are running out, Lord, please, I need clothes. Would you? And the idea, again, is not for us to beeline into luxury, But he's preventing that. He's saying, give us this day our daily bread. He's not telling us to ask for all the things in life, (coughs) except the things that we need for life and for godliness. 
And again, the Lord is guarding against excess. If you turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 30, this is where I think our Lord is getting it. Proverbs chapter 30. And I want you to see it with your own eyes. I want you to look down, underline it, write it down. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needed for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And so what the writer here is teaching is, Lord, give me exactly what I need. Give me what I need. Give me not just what I need, the bread that I need for today, but give me that bread so that I would be able to help others. Have fellowship with other people. That word fellowship is tossed around today. I was fellowshipping with this person and it's lost its meaning. The idea is that you're literally looking at someone face to face, another brother and sister. You're building that relationship. You're edifying them. They are edifying you. And as you grow together, you're doing it over a meal. Because that's what life is all about. Enjoying the Lord with the people that the Lord loves. Enjoying Him and glorifying Him forever. The substance of our needs is the bread that we need today. And again, I think Matthew puts this and our Lord puts this here to remind us of the failures of the children of Israel. They asked for bread, but they never looked. Their eyes never went from the hand all the way up to the person that actually gave them their bread. Because when the Lord gave it to them, they complained again and again and again. And that's so natural to us, isn't it? We always want to say, we always want to focus on the negative. We always want to focus on what's not going right instead of being thankful people and saying, Lord, thank you for the bread that you've given to me. It's small, but even the lady that came to ask for her daughter to be healed by the Lord says, even the dogs eat the crumbs on the table. I'm begging you. I want just even a crumb. And so here we go to the Lord. The substance of our needs is our daily needs, our bread. We go to the Lord who gives it to us. There's another thing that I want to point out before we wrap things up. Look at the whole verse. Give us this day our daily bread. Just stare at it just for just a second and look. The two words. This is not give me this day my daily bread. It's give us this day our daily bread. And this is covenant language. When I say covenant language, what I'm talking about is this is not individualism. This is not individualism at the expense of everyone coming together. But this is intended for us to come together. And this is why some people have even taken this verse to be a text for communion, for the Lord's Supper, for coming together and enjoying the body of Christ together, the the wine, the bread broken for us and the wine shed or the blood shed for us. 
Give us this day our daily bread is meant to be covenantal so that we are coming together as God's people, together enjoying him in the presence of the Lord with the people that God loves together. And this is another reason why we see all throughout the entirety of Scripture that the Lord, not, he doesn't just call one person, he calls many. And so we have to remember that this is not an individualistic prayer petition that we go to the Lord with. This is meant to be covenantal. The blessings that the Lord gives to you as your father and as our father are not meant to be kept to ourselves. That doesn't mean that you now everything that you're buying is now to be shared with everybody because some of our clothes aren't going to fit other people. Let's just be honest, right? But this does mean that whenever we are doing whatever it is we're doing, we are always thinking of our brothers and sisters. How can I share the joy of what I've just gotten with my brothers and sisters? How can I share the joy of having a meal on my table with my brothers and sisters? How can I share my life together with my brothers and sisters? And this is what Paul was so eager about. When he wanted to go to Rome, what did he say? I am dying to get to you so that you may, I may impart a gift to you, but that I also may receive from you. What is it that he's trying to receive from the people except their fellowship? John, in writing his letters, he says, I have many things to say to you, but I'd rather say, to the, say these things to you face to face. In a world where everything is virtual reality, thank you for the people that are live streaming. It's nice to have you here, but the reality is, in a world of virtual reality, there is an increasing fragmentation of the people of God where they stay comfortably in their homes rather than being in the face of other believers. And being in the face of other believers is actually uncomfortable. Because then they do things and you do things that starts rubbing the wrong way. And you're like, I'm not so sure I want to pray this prayer anymore. (laughs) But the Lord is saying, when you pray. The source of our needs, the timing of our needs, and the substance of our needs all goes back to the Father who gives us all that we need today so that we would live for Him today. Uh, The larger catechism, question 193, tells us, That in Adam, we forfeited all of these blessings that the Lord promised because of his sin. Not just by Adam's sin being imputed or inherited down into us, but because of our own sin, our own guilt. We have forfeited the right to get all of the material blessings that the Lord has promised. And yet, in Christ, we have all of those blessings. And yes, we will work by the sweat of our brow. Yes, this doesn't teach us to be lazy. This teaches us to be proactive, to go out and get a job, to go work, to do as, as best to your ability to get this bread, but always looking to the Lord for the source of all that you get. And so our larger catechism tells us That in this petition, we pray for ourselves and for others, that both they and we, waiting upon the providence of God from day to day in the use of lawful means, that means you go to work, that you may of his free gift and to his fatherly and as to his fatherly wisdom shall seem best, enjoy a competent portion of them, that is his blessings. 
and have the same continued and blessed unto us in our holy and comfortable use of them and contentment in them. To be content with what God has given to you is an arrow straight through the heart of covetousness. The reason why people covet is because they are not content to go to the source and have their daily bread. So what are the implications? As we wrap this up and our time is gone, what are the implications for this? Number one, the source of our needs. Notice that this is a triune work. This is the work of the triune God. We go to the Father as the source of all of the blessings, the majesty of the Godhead. And we go to our Father who has adopted us by the work of the Spirit so that we cry out, Abba, Father, through the person and work of Christ. Because without Him, guess what? We're nowhere. But it is our Lord who is teaching us how to approach the Father. And the only way that we can get there is by the regenerating work of the Spirit. Those who are outside of Christ, the people in Soho, the people that are living right across the street from us here in Comac, the people who don't know the Lord don't know what this is. They hear it, it goes one ear out the other, and they say, yes, we've heard our Father in Heaven, this is what the priest taught me when I was small in in Catholic school, but they have no idea what this is. This is only possible through the triune work of our God. The Father adopts us. We come to the Father through our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, who saved you from the wrath of God, so that through him, by the power of the Spirit, we can say, give us this day our daily bread. This is a triune work. But the second implication that we have to look at is the time comes from the timing of our needs. Not only did the Lord provide for the children of Israel, but if you notice all the way back at the beginning when the Lord greeted us from Revelation chapter 1, notice the order of the words, from him who is and who was and who is to come. In other words, time is not an issue for the Lord. In fact, time is there to humble you to know that a transcendent God can provide not only for for Abraham and the children of Israel 2,000 or 4,000 years ago, but he can provide in 2024. So stop being anxious. And number three, the sin that this fourth petition intends to target, as I've already said, stops dead in its tracks when we come to this verse, the sin of idolatry, namely covetousness. Stop looking over your shoulder for what other people have and say, man, they have, the Lord has blessed them. Praise God that the Lord has blessed them. Praise God that the Lord has given them X, Y, and Z and the Lord has given you a smaller portion. Okay. But the same God that distributed what they have is the same God that distributed what you have. So that you would learn to be content. Again, the Lord is not a functional ATM machine. But the Lord is our Father. And when the sin of idolatry or covetousness is killed by your being content in the presence of your Heavenly Father, what you will find is that everything in you that He gives to you will always cause your heart to wonder, how can I use this to edify my brothers and sisters? How can I use this to bless my brothers and sisters. That doesn't mean that you're always planning your vacation around your brothers and sisters. But that does mean 
that when you go on vacation and you come back, you invite them over and you say, look at all the things that the Lord has done in this country or in this place. Or this is the work that the Lord is doing in my family that I visited. All of your life is before the face of God. And so now we come to the end of the fourth petition, where we can actually truly say, as children of God, give us this day our daily bread. Let's pray. Oh Lord, whatever was not profitable, we pray that the wind would blow it, blow it away. But whatever was profitable, we pray that it would dig deep down into our hearts and that you would cause us to look to you as our God and Father, that with the blessings that we receive, that we would bless others with those things that you've given to us. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.